Two percent. Two percent. Two percent. Uh, the two percent's right over here. Oh, hey, Jenna. I didn't know you shopped here. Uh, yeah. Anything to support local food. Know what I mean? I definitely do. Though that's not the only thing you do in the name of Good Eats, obviously. Well, true. I also host Eating Matters every Wednesday at 5 p.m. where we talk about food policy and how it impacts all of us. Be sure to tune in. All right, gotta get the plug in there. I get it. Yep, I'm hashtag shameless. You know what else you can do to support the local food community, right? Well, yeah. Make a donation to Heritage Radio Network, the world's pioneer food radio station. That's right. And I gotta call you out on the whole local thing. What do you mean? Well, The Farm Report, A Taste of the Past, Japan Eats. Those are shows that take you around the country and the world. I'll give you that. So how can listeners give their support? It's pretty easy. Just go to heritageradionetwork.org and click on the big red heart in the top right corner. It's pretty easy from there. Thanks. Today's program is brought to you by Whole Foods Market. For more information, visit wholefoodsmarket.com. I'm Damon Bolte, host of The Speakeasy. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. My name is Philip Gilmore. This is the main course at Heritage Radio. I'm here in studio with my good friend and my attorney, Kenneth Belkin. Good morning, Kenneth. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Let's just jump in right to the straight to the hard questions. The hard questions. So, are you you're running for some sort of office? Yeah, I'm running for uh, state assembly in the 53rd district. Uh-huh. Uh huh. A lot of people don't know what the state assembly is. What is the state assembly? Right off the bat, it's basically Congress for the state of New York, and any laws that affect all New Yorkers in the state of New York have to be written and passed through the Assembly and also the State Senate. So if we wanted something like, let's say, universal health care for all New Yorkers, it would have to go through the Assembly. And that's something I definitely, more than anything in the world, probably want. Um, how many uh, how many State Assembly people are there in New York City? I believe, oh, in New York City... That's a hard question. I believe there's 150 in total. I'm not sure how many in, in New York City. Okay, cool. Probably most of them. <laughs> is, is it by population or geographical? It's mainly by population, but it's weirdly, there are weird geographical boundaries. So, like, the districts don't necessarily fall in, like, strict neighborhood boundaries. So, the district I'm running in, the 53rd district, makes up basically the western half of Bushwick and the southeastern half of Williamsburg. I just heard a whole thing on uh, kind of this is completely on topic. I think uh, I heard a th- I think it was on NPR, but the whole thing about gerrymandering and like uh, and like uh, it was that was gerrymandering, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, but uh, then also too, um, you know how they how the Republicans like when was it like twelve years ago? Basically, county by county changed all the voting maps. 
so that, that that it's advantageous and they, and they were saying like basically it's so fucked up now because it, they'll literally there'll be two houses and a line will be drawn just there because one person lives here and one person lives there to make it advantageous to them but that if they we wanted to undo it that would they would take decades to undo what they did well you know i don't think a lot of people want to undo it in the parties because you know i think the democratic party is probably as much to blame as the republicans because if you look at all the districts in new york it's very strange like they all really fall on party lines and you know we have a closed primary system so if you're not a registered member of a political party you don't really have a voice in your local elections which is something i think we need to change in new york and you know for instance like the districts in northern brooklyn they've been on lockdown with the democratic party for years and pretty much controlled by one man for a long time uh, former assemblyman vito lopez mm-hmm. and you know it's tough is he a good guy or bad guy uh, you know, I think he was someone that started out good, and uh, he was anti-establishment, and then he became Uh-oh. the establishment. <laughs> and, same uh, old song and dance? Same old song and dance. If you kill the monster, you become the monster. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, so I think the Democratic Party is as much to blame mm-hmm. as the Republican Party. And it's it's sad because people who don't want to commit to one party and would just rather vote for a person they think would best serve their interests, they don't get to have a voice in the primary. And in these primaries, you know, whoever gets the Democratic nomination in in these districts, they win the general election. Mm -hmm. There's like a guy, uh, I forget his name, he's been running for like 20 years in this district as the Republican, and I think he gets 150 votes every year. Oh, really? gives it the old college try every two years. Wow. Wow. Um, so uh, tell me a little bit about yourself. Where did you grow up? Uh, I grew up in Long Island, New York. Mm-hmm. Where? Uh, a little town called Albertson. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was raised by my mom, who was a single mom, and she had three kids, worked three jobs her whole life to support us. And one of the reasons that I'm so adamantly for universal health care is because when I was young, probably about like five or six, both my older brother and older sister became, and this is not something I talk about usually ever, but just to give perspective, my older brother and sister were very sick growing up. And, you know, my sister had to have these incredibly expensive surgeries that were not covered by mm-hmm. health insurance. And she had to have them like every two years. And there became a point when I was like 10 years old or so where the house that my mom had worked three jobs to pay for and like pay the mortgage on we we like every two years we were in danger of losing the house and it was just and i remembered seeing something on 60 minutes that that tv show on cbs about canada and -hmm. how they had universal health care and no one had to lose their home to pay for a surgery Mm -hmm. no one had to be thrown out on the streets because they became sick and at 10 years old that was something that was really profound to me because I didn't understand growing up. They tell us America is the greatest country and, like, there's no country better than America. We have it so good here, the land of opportunity. And I remember thinking, well, that's so fucked up that, like, if you get sick, you lose your house. But then a few miles north, you're totally fine. They take care of their citizens. Mm -hmm. And from a young age, I just thought something was really wrong. Then you get older and you realize, you know, the insurance companies, the pharmaceutical companies and the medical lobby, they have a pretty tight stranglehold on our government mm. are your brothers and sisters still around yeah they're still around they're uh, still around they still struggle with the same illnesses that they've struggled with since they were teenagers mm. so free health care for everyone if ken belkin's elected well at least in the state of new york if you know then you know even if i do get elected and fight for it 
then the, the larger fight becomes convincing the other members of the mm-hmm. Assembly and State Senate. Mm. This is something that the people want. Yeah. And that the people that we need, really. And New York is probably, you know, uh, they, you always hear that argument, oh, we can't afford to do that in this country. All those countries that have it, they're smaller. And, well, you know, all the countries that have it, they also tax their wealthiest citizens a lot higher than we do in the United States. Yeah. And New York in particular, it's a state that's really a hotbed of wealth in the nation. And we tax the state income tax on people that make over a million bucks is 8.8%. Other states have raised it to 13%, like California. Mm. And it's actually helped their economy. And I think we can afford to do it, and we should do it. It's just the right thing to do. Yeah. Wow. Um, when, when is the election? The primary is September 13th. Okay, so how does that work? You have to get 500 signatures. I have to get a minimum of 500 signatures, which we're on, our, on track to meet the uh, amount. Nice. And that gets me on the ballot. And then uh, I have to harass people at subway stations every morning mm-hmm. from there until September 13th and knock on a lot of doors. Who's your competition? Uh, my competition is a woman named Maritza Davila. Mm-hmm. Uh, she sounds evil. <laughs> it sounds like a, sounds like a, a, a you know the the villain in the movie. Well, I, I don't know if she's evil. She might have good intentions, but we have a lot. It's of, Cruella Deville's niece. We disagree on a lot of things, and she did come out of a political machine that I think is largely beholden to real estate developers and mm-hmm. landlords. While at the same time, that political machine talks a pretty big game about tenants' rights. Mm-hmm. But I think the proof is in the pudding. I was, you know, you know, I've been petitioning in front of your restaurant for a few days now, and I talked to a lot of people, and one guy in particular who's been in the neighborhood for a long time said on, on Groton Street in Bushwick that two years ago there were 12 buildings that were rent-stabilized or, mm-hmm. or rent-controlled. And he said, now there's three. Yeah. So... I don't know. These politicians that are all for tenants' rights while receiving a lot of campaign donations from real estate developers and landlords, I'm not really sure if they're working for the interests that they say they are. Yeah. Well, that's kind of, yeah. She also Obvious. takes a lot of selfies. It's really strange. Oh, really? How old is she? Uh, I'm not sure, but she's really into taking selfies. Yeah. It's it's quite bizarre. <laughs> I don't, it, it, that's, it's, is, is it a girl and guy thing? I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know very many guys that are obsessed with taking selfies, but yeah, almost you know every girl I know. At the risk of <laughs> every girl, I don't know every girl. Not every girl, but you know. But at the risk of sounding sexist, I mean, I don't know if any of my guy friends take selfies. Do you know? Um, there's a thing of like people from like I don't know, eighteen to forty. Um, men are more prone to use Facebook, whereas women are more prone to use Instagram. I'm like a total ludite. I don't even know how to use Instagram. Yeah. Uh, one of my friends set up an Instagram account for me, yeah. and like I don't even have access to it, and they keep posting stuff. And I'm, like, <laughs> I'm like, all right. You might want to check it <laughs> yeah. for your campaign, at least. <laughs> I don't know what they're posting. <laughs> so we grew up in Long Island, fighting for health care since you were in fourth grade. Well, then, I wasn't fighting for it back then. Internally struggling. Internally with struggling issue. with the... And then, uh, and then, when, when did you uh, when when did you go to school, school or college? Uh, well, I went to I I had a I was really involved in the punk rock and hardcore scene in Long Island, mm-hmm. and I really you know m- you know growing up uh, single parent home, bored Long Islander, mom never around, divorced father in Westchester, you know you look for outlets and like to me the outlet was like the punk and hardcore scene in Long Island, mm. so education wasn't like a priority f- for me originally. And uh, I pretty much worked in restaurants and played in bands that were 
of varying degrees of shitty mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, eventually eked out a degree. I, w- I went to Hunter College and uh, eventually was able to get enough credits to get a degree. Mm-hmm. And then from there, I uh, took one year, kept working at this shitty Mexican restaurant called Dos Caminos. Mm-hmm. Don't eat there. Yeah. And, <laughs> we and, also, and, and we'll leave some of the stories you've told me out of this podcast. <laughs> Overpriced, yes. yuppie Mexican. And, and they don't really treat their employees so great. You know, like, that, that's the funny thing. I always say, like, I, I represent a lot of restaurant owners. And all the restaurant owners I represent, I can't tell you how much I would have wished to work in one of their restaurants instead of some of the shitty places. Present company included? Present <laughs> company at the top of the list. Dude. I mean... I know you, you're amazing to your employees. Well, we try to be. You know, but a lot of the places I worked at, they were not so amazing. So I took one more year, I spent slinging guacamole and margaritas. And then I, uh, I went to New York Law School, and, and that, was, uh, that was it. Um, how many times did you take the bar? One time. You passed the first time? First time. That's kind of rare. I don't know. I mean, 50, they say 50% of first time takers pass yeah. it. But I, I, you know, it's an expensive process. You have to pay $4,000 for a prep course, and then you can't work the two months you study for it. So in my mind, it was like, I was like, I have no choice. Like, if I don't pass this the first time, like, I am fucked. Yeah. So, so I made sure I passed it. Nice. And I wasn't, I didn't have exactly a primo law job at the time. I was working for uh, law offices of Deborah J. Blum, who oh. you met. Of, of Fox News and CNN? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I think she was paying me something like uh, 500 bucks a week. Yeah. So those were uh, not the best of times. Well, I know you worked hard for her, so, you know, $500 a week doesn't sound like a lot for what you did for her. <laughs> well, there are other benefits to work. Yes. She was a good boss. She was yeah. really nice. Still then, good friends with her to this day. And then, uh, and then, what? Uh, what your your practice uh, for those who are not familiar with Mr. Kenneth Malkin? Uh, what uh, what uh, what do you specialize in? Like, what have you? What are most of your um, clients now? Well, when I open my practice, you know, oh, Stevens here, he gave me the finger. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, you know, I, I re- mainly focused on uh, criminal defense and representing small businesses, uh, mm-hmm. which, you know, it was sort of by accident, really. Those were the clients I got, and those, you know, that was it. I, and I just went with it. So really, like, small business representation and uh, criminal defense. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and you've kind of fallen into, like, the, the small restaurant scene, I would say. Yeah, in, in I definitely have a lot of restaurant, bar, and coffee shop clients. And yeah. They're great. They're actually... They're my favorite clients because, mm-hmm. like, I- I'm not going to go and, like, hang out and party with, like, my criminal clients. They're, yeah. they're going through <laughs> terrible things. Yeah. And, and, by the way, 60% of them, I say, are completely innocent. And, I, and I'm not naive and think everyone's innocent, but it's a sad state of affairs when that high a percentage of people getting arrested are innocent. Yeah. And i got to believe that probably close to that percentage that are convicted may very well be innocent as well. But, uh, you know, I I can't... I always tell them, I'm like, when when you're facing criminal charges, like, you need to lay low. I'm like, don't leave your house unless you have to. Don't talk to them. Like, because when you're, you're caught up in the system, you know... And you, and you just accidentally trip over your shoelace. Yeah, (laughs) and that's it. Like, uh... But, you know, my restaurant and my small business clients are amazing. You know, I can hang out with them. I party with them. Yeah. You know, it's, it's like, fun. They're, they're great. They all have, like, created their own world. It's, it's very, yeah. like, they, and they are definitely the masters of their world. Yeah, yeah. Which is, like, a cool thing to do. Um, so, um, 
Oh, so let's go back to the primary. So you, uh, the primary happens, and the primary, you'll get the nomination. If, right? if I'm lucky and win. If you're lucky and win, you get the nomination, and then you would run against the Republican guy after that? Yeah, most likely. And when, and when would that be? <laughs> that would be November 8th. So the same day everyone votes for uh, El Presidente. El Presidente. Wow, what an exciting time. It's, uh, it's going to be in the background. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, what, uh, this is kind of a food show, I guess, sometimes. Um, it started as a food show. Now it's just whatever it is. <laughs> but uh, what, what, talk, what, what was the uh, food scene like in Long Island in the 80s? 90s. Oh man, it's horrible. Yeah, it's all like. What did they have in Albertsons? I mean, let, Albertsons let me tell you, my my first restaurant job when I was 15. <coughs> I worked at a. Do you know Friendlies? Yeah, yeah, that was my first job. Wow. Oh man, it was just such a crazy job too. The the manager, the general manager, is this guy named Dave, mm-hmm. and he just like would do no work. Like he would literally hide in his office in the basement at all times, and like. I pro- I started out doing the fountain, which was like basically scooping the ice cream, mm-hmm. and like I remember one Friday he like came upstairs and I was like doing fountain, and he's like, hey, he's like, I-, I need you to work for like three hours tonight, and I was like, all right, you know, sure, and he's like, I need you to work uh, on the grill in the kitchen, and I was like, what? I was like, I'm like 16, like I don't know how to cook, <laughs> like, wow. like I know how to make ramen. He's like, it's just, just three hours. Don't worry, it'll be slow. It, it's a Friday night. <laughs> and I was like, wow, okay. And he just like stuck me in the kitchen for three hours. Was, and what were you making? I don't know what I was making, but I tell you, I was not making it well. <laughs> wow. I used to, uh, I used to just, uh, I would work at jobs when I was like 14 and 15. Like I, I worked at Arby's. I worked at a place called Perkins, which is kind of like friendly. It's kind of, yeah, yeah I think I know Perkins. Perkins. It's almost like a Denny's. And then I would just, you know, I would just, I would just wander around aimlessly, you know, go to the walk-in, do some whippets. Out of, you know, <laughs> we did a lot can- of that. Apparently. A lot of the whipped cream canisters <laughs> until I got fired and get another job. Yeah, I think I, I that friendlies job. I think I quit and got fired like three times. Really, they kept taking me back because I lived around the block. So because you're you're the best grill man in the game. So <laughs> I was the best grill man. Yeah. Um, what about a what, what's this, you ever see any of the legendary punk bands? Yeah, I mean, I, my my shittiest band. We had the opportunity to open up for a lot of cool punk bands that were big, like AFI, and like there were bands coming out of our scene that were pretty big, like Taking Back Sunday. I don't know why we got those opportunities. We were a horrible band. Wow. Actually, I actually kind of pretended I liked punk, but I really didn't. But I, I, guess I, I saw like most of the big old school ones. You like '90s grunge, my friend. Well, no, I like everything. Um, I like I like classical music. I listen to Philip Glass every night as I sleep. <laughs> um, no, but I, I saw um, who did I see? I saw Seven Seconds. I saw DO, DO, DOA, uh, JFA. Jody Foster's Army, uh, who else? Circle Jerks. Uh, you yeah. saw the Circle Jerks. I saw the Circle Jerks. Where did you see them? At the Cameo Theater in South Beach. Wow, that's amazing. I had to be like maybe fifteen. That's crazy. Yeah. The, the only band, the only really big band that I didn't see that I always wish it was Gang of Four. They were like my favorite. You like Gang of Four? You might be more hardcore than me. <laughs> I, am, I am more hardcore than you. I like a lot of those terrible uh, West Coast '90s punk bands. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> You're I like, know. Yeah, that's I know. okay though. I, I judge no man. Um, yeah, so let's take a quick little break. Uh, we might bring your campaign manager in here and talk to him. The treasure, it's only him. the treasure. Oh, the treasurer, the campaign manager. Is oh, yeah. So I have, I have a long list of uh, financial questions. So we're gonna take a quick little break and then we'll be back. <laughs>
Today's program is proudly brought to you by Whole Foods Market, America's healthiest grocery store with more than 400 locations throughout the United States. Download the Whole Foods Market app on your smartphone for recipes, sales, information, and digital coupons. Or visit WholeFoodsMarket.com to find a store closest to you. Welcome back to the main course, sitting in here with uh, Ken Belkin, and who's this man joining us? This is Stephen Gaeta. He is he has the dubious distinction of being my campaign treasurer. Yes. So he's in charge of any donations and our campaign bank account. So I literally all, so all the dirty real estate uh, <laughs> giants that are slipping you loaves of cash. He's the ones that that delegates where it goes and whose it goes to. Absolutely. Yep. Nice. He's uh. Yeah, I mean, no, we're we're not really a multi-million dollar campaign. We're more of a multi-dollar campaign. Really? Have you have you actually gotten donations? Uh, we have a couple coming in through. Yeah, some people have committed, but they're slow. But it's any, okay. Any anybody infamous or uh, anybody famous? Nobody infamous. Or the, famous. Any fi- any five digit checks yet? No five digit checks. <laughs> any four digit checks? We're looking for like. One to two digit checks. Yes, <laughs> on the other side of the period. Yeah. Yeah. The other side of ninety nine is ninety nine is the holy grail. <laughs> we take. We're the only campaign that takes quarters. Now, uh, so you're the treasurer. So why? Um, so how does that work? Uh, how, do you guys work together? Are you an, are you a lawyer? Or? I'm not an attorney yet. Yeah. I just graduated from law school. Cool. Um, I work with Deborah Blum. Work for Deborah Blum, uh, uh, one of Ken's colleagues. Uh, Deborah Deborah of uh, of CNN and Fox News. Yeah, exactly. My former <laughs> boss. He, he's, he's making, I already made that joke. Oh, okay. He's making that killer salary I used to make of 500 bucks a week nice. for 70 hours a week but look of at work. You, look at you now, running for state assembly. <laughs> I guess. Um, but yeah, that's how we started. Nice. Yeah. And uh, what's, what's your story? Where, where are you from? I'm from Jersey. Yeah. I uh, went to college in Long Island for four years, went back to Jersey, still live in Jersey. Nice. Yeah. Sounds like your story exactly, except Long Island version. <laughs> <laughs> I try not to tell people about the Long Island part. Yeah, <laughs> um, not that there's anything wrong with it. Yeah. Did you have? Do you have any aspirations? If, like, let's say you get the state assembly, do you have any? Do you think you would want to go beyond that? No, I think I would want to concentrate on doing the best job I could there. Uh, there are a lot of issues I want to push for in the state of New York, and you know, I, I'm a New Yorker. Like, I, I don't need to go down to DC or go any higher than that. Yeah. You know. Well, once you you know, it's like a drug though. Once you get a little taste of that power, <laughs> give me some more, give me some more. Um, what a uh, what's, what's your take on this whole week? By the way, I heard there's some like some things in the news. Do you have any do you have any thoughts on that? Things in so, the news, yeah. Like, some like people got shot. The Kardashians, people got right? Shot. Oh, yeah. that. Yeah. What do you think about that? I mean, it's. Do you uh, think? I, I think personally, I'll, I'll say what I think, and then you can respond. Um, I think that um, what happened not only in um, St. Paul and Baton Rouge, but then what happened in Dallas, I think it's the straw that broke the camel's back. Like, I don't think we're, you know, how every, every one of the other ones, Eric Garner, Tavon Martin, everybody's angry and then blah, 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 you know, then, you know, some fucking weird fucked up news thing happens and then, you know, we drink the Kool-Aid and it disappears. I don't think it's going to disappear this time. What do you think? I, I mean, just in re- with respect to the Dallas incident, you know, <laughs> I, I don't know what motivates someone to take a gun and shoot people that, like, are just going to work to do their job. I think that's fucking horrible. And, like, you know, 
cops, my opinions on them, regardless, there's just dudes that are going to work or, or women that are going to work to do their job. And nobody just showing up to do their work deserves to catch a bullet and die at work. But, but, so, but so, too, taxpaying citizens, even if they are criminals or not criminals, don't also deserve to be shot in the head. No, no. And that's, you know, so. that's the other side of that coin. And I, I can tell you, as a criminal defense attorney, like, you know, and this was something that I struggled with. It was really weird. I, sometimes I get that, like, 3 a.m. call, and I have to go to a police precinct to make sure that, like, the police aren't questioning my client. And I can tell you, like... When I was growing up like a punk rock dude in like ripped jeans and a t-shirt and tattoos with a Jufro, you know, I got stopped a lot by cops. I got searched a lot on the subway. I got like, even though I'm white, I think like I got like punk rock profiled a lot. And when I put on a suit and became a lawyer, things totally flipped. Yeah. Cops, to a certain extent, get defensive around me. And oh really? When I go into a precinct and I have to like stop them from questioning, like it's something that I had to like get used to. Like I had to be stern because like I'm trying to protect my client's constitutional rights. On the flip side of that, you know, I've seen cops do some horrible things, and I've literally had a client on Long Island, and Long Island is a really fucked up and racist place. Even though you know it's like 20 miles outside of the city, all the cops are white on Long Island. All the prosecutors and DAs are white on Long Island. At least in the city, things are more diverse. And I had to go with a client who was going through a messy legal situation, uh, several situations, and we had to go actually report a crime to the police. Mm-hmm. And when we got to the precinct, the detective, instead of like taking us into his office, he's like, come outside. And we like go outside, and he's like, let's go behind the precinct. And I'm like walking with my client, and I'm like, where the fuck am I going with this guy? And the detective, we get behind the precinct, starts, like, freaking screaming at us, like, getting nasty. And he's like, oh, you brought your fucking lawyer? And he's like, shut up to my client. He's like, shut the fuck up. He's like, let your fucking lawyer talk. He's like, talk, lawyer, talk. And he put his hand on his gun. And I was just like, oh, fuck. And I was like, you know what? I was like, I don't think we need to talk behind the precinct with your hand on your gun screaming at us. I mean, he seemed like he was coked out. It was crazy. I mean, I, I think there's a lot of police abuse of power. Uh, I had a trial last week that ended. First trial, I lost, actually. I was 6-0, and and this is my first loss. Steven helped a lot with that trial. So it's um, Steven's fault. It's all my fault. Yeah. yeah, that's why I say that, because Steven really, like, he really screwed up. Yeah. Okay. He screwed up big time, Gator. So it's really not Just a loss Just for the for record, I wasn't there for the voir dire. That was Ken and Deborah. <laughs> I was voir dire is jury selection. Yeah. So. But, um... This was a, a black, young black guy, 27 years old, gay kid from California. And he was on vacation in New York. And took the subway uptown to Harlem, 145th Street in St. Nicholas. And in that subway station, there's a huge police precinct in the subway station. And one of his friends fancied himself a young Tony Hawk. Yeah. And decided, oh, I'm going to work on my kickflip uh-huh. in the subway station. And he skateboarded for like 10 seconds in the subway station. So naturally... The full brunt of the NYPD came down on his head. I did mean, you say? Did you mention that there's an entire police precinct in the subway station? Yep. Okay. See, so this is what I mean. He fucked up the whole trial. Yeah. No, I'm just exactly. kidding. Steve. <laughs> and uh, you know, these uniformed officers swarmed on this kid for skateboarding, and my client uh, decided to film it mm-hmm. on his cell phone. 
And as he's filming it, these two plainclothes officers, and, and you can see in the surveillance video, they start, like, circling him, standing behind him with their arms folded, really giving him, like, the stink eye. Like, who the yeah. fuck is this kid filming police? Yeah. And as they took his friend away, my guy, this is what he told me is he got a really bad feeling. Like, he should get the fuck out of there. Yeah. And he did try to get the fuck out of there. And with great haste, he, like, made a beeline for the exit. And he bumped into this woman. And you can't even make this up. She was wearing, like, a full-body burqa. (laughs) And he bumps into her. And she drops her cell phone. Uh And as soon as it happens, one of the undercover cops, plainclothes cops, just without even saying he's a cop, literally seven seconds from him stopping filming the cops, he's on the ground with two plainclothes officers tackling him. And... You know, he couldn't make bail because he's from California. And he was in jail from October. Then in December, we got the case. Uh, Legal Aid had it for two months. I don't really think they did anything. He was in jail the whole time? He was in jail. He couldn't make bail. And he was adamant that he was innocent. He couldn't get out. And Legal Aid had the case for like two months and didn't really do much with it. Uh, Not anything against Legal Aid. You know, they're a great institution. But unfortunately, they're underfunded. And because of that, people who can't afford a private attorney don't really get the defense that they deserve. Mm-hmm. And when each legal aid attorney has 200 cases, you know, that's a problem. Like, how can you, I don't know how the hell you could adequately represent someone with 200 active cases. So we got the case and we immediately looked into the surveillance footage and what he said checked out. You know, he was filming the police and it's very obvious he was filming the police. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we even said that to legal aid, and they were like, what are you talking about? And we're like, well, didn't you see the footage? And they were like, what footage? Wow. But, you know, they do the best they can. And the DA originally offered him a deal of pleading to a misdemeanor, and he would get time served. So, like, pleads guilty, gets out. And he wouldn't take it. You know, he just wouldn't take it. He, he was adamant that he was innocent. And we were set to go to trial, like, four times. The DA kept delaying it. Uh... And then the day before the trial starts, the DA called my colleague at 5 p.m. and says to her, is your guy taking the deal or what? And we were like, no, dude, like you heard the judge. Like we're starting, we're picking a jury at 10 a.m. Like he was not taking the fucking deal. And he's like, he's like, we're not picking a jury anymore. And we're like, yeah, we are. The judge said so. You're fucking prosecutor, not the judge. And he's like, if your guy doesn't take the deal, he's like, we're going to up the charges to a felony. Wow. And that was like the night before trial, after this kid had already been in jail for like six months. And, you know, the kid, I, I like begged this kid to take the deal because I was like, you don't like felony trial. The consequences are way worse if we lose. And, um, you know, the, the, we have in New York, the way the law is, and this I think should also probably be changed at some point, uh, if you're convicted of crimes, you know, in the past, and you're charged with something new, and you go to trial, the DA is allowed to ask you questions about your prior convictions. Mm -hmm. And I don't really think that's fair, because just because someone might have made a mistake in the past doesn't mean they're guilty of whatever they're currently charged with. Yeah. And, you know, frequently when a jury hears that someone has a record, they just kind of assume, oh, you know, once a criminal, always a criminal. Yeah. But, like, people make mistakes, and that doesn't mean they're guilty at every turn. So it was a really messed up case. And because of that, we couldn't have him testify. So yeah. It was a huge problem. And the jury, it was funny, when the jury was deliberating, you could hear them screaming at each other. 
Really? And, like, the judge was even laughing. He's like, and I said to the judge, I'm like, is this typical? I was like, do voices just really carry in this courtroom? And the judge was like, no. He's like, I've never heard a jury screaming like wow. that. Wow. And apparently, you know, the black people on the jury uh, really didn't want to convict. But eventually they did because after a few days in a jury room, you know. Did the uh, lady in the burqa testify? No. And that's the, f- the most fucked up thing is this woman... Literally 90 seconds after uh, our client Did bumped into her. Did you meet her or talk him, to her? He never talked to her. They never recovered any stolen property from her. And she left 90 seconds after he bumped into her. And this is in, the, in my closing argument to the jury. I played them uh, a portion of surveillance footage that we had that shows her as she's leaving 90 seconds after he bumps into her. She passes by, and I counted it for the jury. Seven uniformed officers. Not one of them stopped her. She didn't stop a single one of them. And I said to the jury, there's a reason for that. It's because no crime occurred. You know, who... How did they find a guilty verdict then? Well, I'm going to say something that's a little bit politically incorrect. But there was, and pardon my French ladies, but there was one white bitch on the jury from the Upper East Side. White And it was funny. During jury selection, we, we really thought we should have gotten rid of her. But for some reason, we didn't get rid of her. Uh, and uh, she like, min- she ran that jury. It was crazy watching it. Mm. Like she was like, practically giving back rubs to the black ladies on the jury to like convince them. It was wild. Again, I wasn't there for Vaudier. Yeah. <laughs> well, see if if this guy would have been your treasurer, you could have, uh, you know, maybe slipped uh, slipped some of the jurors a little envelope. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, that works. Oh, that's 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 well, that's we, highly we did illegal. have to slip them a. Uh, some donuts. Yeah, we had, at one point they sent a note back requesting uh, coffee and donuts. Oh, nice. Well, hey, what else? Well, we're going to appeal that. for me. <laughs> Which you, you are going to appeal? Yeah. What's your favorite restaurant in Bushwick besides the ones that you owned? Um, None I, of them. That's an easy I one. love Buna Cafe, especially for brunch, the vegan Ethiopian place. Love it. Love Montana's. That's about it. Yeah, Montana's is killer. Um, and then uh, I just discovered a few months ago Joe's Pizza, which I think I've talked about on this podcast. But Joe's Pizza, that's on Bleecker Street now. It's on Bedford and North Fifth. It's my favorite New York pizza I've ever had. Funny story about Montana's. I love that restaurant. And I was I was dating my uh, ex-girlfriend, who's from France, mm-hmm. and, and moved back there. Mago. Mago. And uh, I still love her to death. And... Uh, she uh, she moved back to France. I pretty much ruined America for her. Yeah, good. But uh, we could never go to Montana's because she insisted that everything they cooked had gluten in it. So anytime I'd be like, let's go to Montana's, she'd be like, I cannot. There's gluten. Yeah. No disrespect to French people. I love your country no and culture. Yes, no disrespect to Margot, but it was all in your head. Sorry. That, and actually, <laughs> you proved that it was all in her head yeah. multiple times. Well, no, the, you know, the funny thing is the whole gluten-free movement came because of one guy's research about grain sensitivities and gluten and all that stuff. And he even came out and basically proved his own theory wrong. So it's you have celiac disease or not. That's it. And the thing, what, what people, what people, this is the whole thing, and I've been saying this for eight years, and I, and now I'm scientifically proven right. What it is is somebody says I'm going to go gluten free. So when you go gluten free, it's not about the gluten. You're not eating pizza. You're not eating bagels. You're not eating pasta. You're not eating sandwiches. It's not, it's not the gluten. It's all the other shit that comes with the gluten. So when you stop eating gluten, you make more healthy eating decisions, which includes 
you know, eating less crappy food. So now you feel better. You don't feel better because of the gluten. You feel better because you're not eating the shit that comes inside the bread. By the way, she's going to fucking kill me when she hears this. Because she, anytime I brought up uh, we, we the we we um, thing. We actually, there's a block. Uh, we're, too, uh, we're too progressive. So France actually blocks out this radio show specifically. <laughs> yes. I, I, I don't know that you're right about that. But, well, uh, um, so if anybody out there in Bushwick is going to, uh, is a registered Democrat in Brooklyn area, Williamsburg and Bushwick, uh, make sure to go vote for Ken in the primary on the 13th. Absolutely. And then, Yeah. We could be done. Do you have anything else to say? Tonight, uh, five to ten. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. If you guys, if uh, what date is it? the tenth? Today, Today is the tenth. Tenth. Yeah, Sunday the tenth. Yes, we're we're having a little uh, fundraiser, political uh, awareness petition hoorah, signing party. Petition signing party. Where is that going to be? It's going to be at Pearl's Billion Social Club and on uh, Saint Nicholas and Star. Nice. From five to ten. Come meet the candidate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I won't be dressed in traditional candidate garb, that's yeah. for sure. <laughs> Why? That's the weekend. Why well, put a suit on? Yeah, right. Well, uh, thank you guys so much for coming in. I love you, Kenneth. And thank you so much for having us, Phil. All right, man. Have a good day. Bye-bye. For listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.